Before we begin, a reminder that nothing on this podcast is intended as a statement of faith, doctrine, or fellowship, and this podcast is not affiliated with any church, school, or calling body. Welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. My name is Charlie Ungemach, and we're glad that you're here. I'll be joined in just a moment by this week's guest, but before that, I want to say thank you to all those who help support the Gird Up Project. All of our content here at Gird Up is available free to anyone anywhere in the world who might benefit from our message, and we want to keep it that way. But we rely upon the contributions of our listeners in order to do so. You will never see any paywalls or exclusive content here at Gird Up. That being said, it does cost money to put a show like this together, so if you find what we're doing here valuable and you're willing and able to do so, please go to www.girdupministries.com, click on the menu, and select Buy Us a Cup of Coffee. That $5 donation goes a long way towards keeping this podcast going, and it helps us reach other men just like you. God's blessings, fellas. Enjoy the show. All right, dudes, forgive me, but one more advertisement before we finally get into the show here. I want to talk about Beats for Heartbeats. Beats for Heartbeats uh, was established as a nonprofit organization in 2020, but fundraising efforts in the form of an event, Beats for Heartbeats, began in 2019. The mission of Heartbeats, Inc. is to celebrate the value of every life through the power of Christ. This is accomplished by acting as a conduit to provide support through awareness and fundraising for organizations that aggressively focus their efforts on benefiting abundant life for the most vulnerable, including pro-life and pregnancy counseling, foster care and adoption services, combating human tra- sex trafficking, um, depression counseling, and both suicide and euthanasia prevention. Currently, Beats for Heartbeats raises funds through an outdoor music festival, um, which takes place each fall in West Bend, Wisconsin. And this year's event will take place on September 17th at the Washington County Fairgrounds. Performances will start at 2.30 and include him and her worship, who've been on the show a couple of times, Koine the Church Band, Brian uh, from Koine has also been on the show before. They'll also feature Rest, <laughs> Rhett Walker and Sanctus Real. So um, a great ticket. Um, it's going to be an awesome show. Last year's show was an absolute blast. The Grid Up Bros and I will also be there once again, and we'll hope that we'll see you there as well. Mark your calendars for September 17th at the Washington County Fairgrounds up there in Wisconsin for Beats for Heartbeats 2022. We'll see you there. Sitting down today with Pastor Gunther from St. John's here in New Ulm. How are you doing, Pastor? I'm doing great. I've had a great summer. You want to go by Pastor or Rob, or how do you want to go on this Whatever. podcast? Pa- Pastor's great. Rob's Pastor great. Pastor Rob. Your choice, Pastor Rob. Whatever <laughs> you call me, I will respond to. All right. Awesome. Uh, first of all, just give us, if somebody hasn't heard, you've been on the podcast before, but just in yeah. case we've got new listeners here, um, welcome, first of all. And Pastor Rob, <laughs> it just doesn't seem natural. Does it? I don't know why pastor. that seems pastor? so. Yeah, Pastor, just go ahead pastor. and tell us who you are. I'm Rob Gunther. I'm pastor at St. John's Lutheran in New Ulm. I've been here for just a little over four years. Prior to here, I was pastor in Kenai, Alaska for 
eight years. That shaped me and my boys, which is pertinent to the podcast. Prior to that, I was a pastor in Raleigh, North Carolina for six years. So born and raised Seattle area, came to MLC, Sam, all that fun stuff too. Yeah. So I was in, were you in Alaska when the MLC College Choir came up? I was. All which right. was so were you I there? was one of them, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, you guys weren't the church that did the um the uh, Alaskan cuisine contest, were you? We did. Yep. And oh, I had that was versus, so good. And oh I was, my goodness, that's one of my that's one was. of the best meals I've ever eaten in my life. Mine too. I wish we had you guys come up oh, more often. Oh my goodness, it was like everything from like roast moose, like it was like right. roast beef sandwiches except moose to muskox meatballs. And there were some like sea and cucumbers. It was everything. And halibut and shrimp. It was oh. it was all there. And it was men versus women trying to fight who could oh, get the best recipes. Nice. I forget who won, but it was close. It, it was doesn't like by matter. Two votes. We all won. We all won. That's true. <laughs> and I remember I was giving a devotion to you guys, and my line was something about how easily we are distracted from what really matters. And someone yelled, look, there's a moose. And everyone <laughs> ran to the window to look at the moose in the driveway. So... <laughs> That's awesome. It was great. The uh, that was one of my other favorite things about being at Saloa in Milwaukee is they would uh, they would, it was like a pantomime. It wasn't really a real thing, but every year um, for one of the for one of the Advent dinners and for one of the Lenten dinners, all the women would act like they didn't think the men could cook. Like they it happens every year, so you know they know, right? <laughs> but they go, oh, the men are gonna cook for us. Like, it's all special, <laughs> and they would go all out. Like I made my I, I like making baked beans as my okay. as my thing for potlucks and stuff like that. Uh, but I made my fancy baked beans, and they're phenomenal. Um, if I can toot my own horn. You have bacon in it, right? Um, no, I usually do uh, oh. Um, oh. neck bones, you, pork you neck me. bones. Oh, okay, okay, there's pork. Oh, man. <laughs> and sometimes sometimes I don't do it the same way every time. Okay. I made a, I made a, a batch this week for a get-together, and I put some horseradish in and a little bit of like uh, hot sauce, and it was mm. nice. There was a nice like slow heat to them, mm-hmm. and they were still sweet because I put a lot of brown sugar in. Awesome. Oh, I'm giving away all my secrets now. but <laughs> Right. Yeah. You're going to have oh, to edit delicious. this part later. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and <laughs> give me all kinds of beeps. We're going to think of a custom. was just giving them my beans recipe. But anyway, they would do, like, um, even if it was snowing outside, man, they had big broilers going out back for the corn, and they'd make giant ribs and all that. It was, oh, my goodness, it was wonderful. That was awesome. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Now, where is Alaska a place you thought, like, yeah, I would love to go out there? Like, Or is it just something it, that popped it, up? It was not on my radar at all. When we were in Raleigh, North Carolina, we were trying to build a grade school, and we had all the plans ready to go, and we had the money and the backers and everything, and then the economy tanked. So what little bit of a loan we needed fell through. Um at the time, I don't know what I'm allowed to say on here or not, but my <laughs> kid's principal in kindergarten was openly, flamboyantly gay and made it clear this is a part of his curriculum to teach the kindergartners about. And that was where my kid was going to school. So no grade in school. In the public schools. In the public school system. <laughs> yeah, yes. We, d- <laughs> we did not get <laughs> our clarify. school going. <laughs> to clarify. Thanks for the clarification. So I had to call to Kenai, and they had a grade school. And I thought... For my kids' sake, I need my kids to get this quality Lutheran education. So being a dad has shaped my ministry more than anything, to be honest. So I went up to Alaska with no expectations. I No, it was not on my radar. It wasn't like, oh, I hope I get to Alaska someday. But I got there and embraced it and taught my kids to embrace it. And we had a great experience and loved it. And I would have stayed there and retired there if we had a high school. So mm. I came here for Minnesota Valley Lutheran High School so my kids could come here and yeah. So 
Very cool. Now, you mentioned earlier that um, being in Alaska played a big role in your and your son's lives. Um, and then you also talk about embracing kind of Alaskan culture and embracing your environment while you're up there. So can you speak to that a little bit? Well, I think we should bloom where we're planted, right? So I, I was called to Alaska. I wasn't something I was seeking. But once I was there, when, if a guy said, hey, do you want to help me you know, process chickens? Sure. I've never chopped the head off a chicken before, but I did that day. Hey, do you want to go halibut fishing? Sure. I don't know what I'm doing. And and then they're like, hey, can you go up up front and pull the anchor? I'm like, tell me what I how. And, and so I did. And hey, here's how you set the hook. And here's how you do this. And I just embraced it and said, yes, I will. I said yes to every opportunity I could get. Do you want to go hike to the top of this mountain? And I'm glad this is just a podcast and there's no video, but you can see how flabby I am. It was hard for me to find a way to ask that question. (laughs) It was hard for me to do sometimes. Like a lot of the stuff, like after I shot my moose, that was the hardest work I've ever done in my life physically to, to haul it. It was, it was maybe two miles only, but it was through marshland and I'm slugging a, a one quarter of a moose on my back with 250 pounds. And, and then I had to go back four more times to get the rest. So I, I just, my thought was, I'm here to serve God's people, so I'm going to do what God's people here do. And so I did it, and it was hard. It made me man up. And and then my boys, I'm like, come on, we got this opportunity to halibut fish. You're old enough now, you're going to come with. And by that point, I was proficient enough, I was deckhand, and I'm helping them do stuff. I, I'd even... I was never captain because I didn't own the boat, but I was pilot. You know, here, right. here, you take the boat, Pastor. Well, we do this, and yeah. Um, so I learned in those eight years a lot of skills. I'd never operated a chainsaw before moving to Alaska, and by the end, I'm chopping up trees for firewood for a bonfire for a church Bible study around the bonfire. So, um, Alaska has definitely shaped who I am in in ways that I probably don't fully understand, to be honest. So, yeah. it, but it's it made me man up. Is what yeah. I'll say. Is that something? Um, so it, you you kind of like obviously going to Alaska wasn't something you're that's been on your radar. You said that, um, but is like those kinds of experiences are those something that you have sought out throughout your life, or is it something that was new to you when you got to Alaska? Yeah, it was kind of new to me. My my dad never hunted. My dad fished from a boat, so I knew some of that. But I learned how to ice fish, and um, one of the guys said to me, Pastor, there's a strength that is more than muscle, and it's a determination to do what you don't think you can do. And I thought, yeah, okay. And, and that definitely came true with hauling a moose <laughs> two miles out of the woods. Um, I hurt, I ached, but I was not going to quit um, on my bear hunts. We went across, it was maybe a foot long, foot wide ledge with a trickle down waterfall, 200 foot drop to sharp jagged rocks at the bottom. And I'm following the guy I'm with and he's looking back to see if I'm still following. And we got to the other side, and we got the bear. Spoiler alert. <laughs> at the end, he said, I can't believe you followed me on that. That was terrifying, wasn't it? And I looked at him like, I can't believe you kept going. <laughs> but I wasn't going to wimp out. Yeah. You, he wasn't going to wimp out. So we just, I think part of it, too, is brothers. Just one guy pushing another guy. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to quit. He wasn't going to quit. Later, we both admitted how absolutely terrified we were at that point. But we kept going and pushed each other. And now I I keep thinking I should write a a, a short story on that hunt because it it was amazing. And I'm like I said, it just toughened me up. It gave me a a, a resolve to I can do whatever is set before me. And if I don't, if I fail, I'll 
keep going anyway. So it Alaska shaped me in a big way. This isn't about yeah. Alaska, though, so I'm sorry. Well, no, but, but it I've all ties in. I, no, okay. it's, it's exact, we're exactly on the right track because all of this does play a role in – you know, the way that you raise your sons. And I would also, I would just conjecture to say, um, you weren't necessarily, just kind of based on what, what you're saying, and forgive me if I'm wrong here, but for, um, based on what you're saying um, about your experiences before you went to Alaska, like you, the way you've raised your sons is very different from the way you were raised. Absolutely. Right? Um, and, and all these experiences play into that, right? Yeah. Um, and so one of the th- – uh, Jack Donovan, who's definitely not a Christian author, but he writes quite a bit about manhood and masculinity from an evolutionary science standpoint, um, which, frankly, about 97% of the time he agrees with Christianity on it, um, on the concepts of what masculinity looks like and what manhood is. And one of the things he says all the time is um, there's a difference between being a good man and being good at being a man. But those two other things obviously are also connected. Um, so I guess I don't know what the question is here, but um, looking at your experience and the the way that you've developed even after you became a man and you were already serving as a pastor, um, you, I would, are, you, you were probably already a good man before that, but you got significantly better at, quote, unquote, being a man while you're up there. Do you see any relationship between the two or how is your maybe understanding of that relationship changed. Yeah. So I guess, I guess I lived a cushy, comfortable life without ever being challenged much. My childhood was playing video games and watching movies. And I think my parents, they gave me every opportunity, but it was comfortable. Mm-hmm. Alaska was very uncomfortable that I guess what, what I came out with is I taught my boys, the definition of being a man is you use your strength to serve those who are weaker than you. And that means your physical strength, you help those who are physically weaker than you, your mental strength, those who are mentally not as strong as you might be, um, your spiritual strength, your emotional strength. And so we want to develop all of those. We want to we want to grow stronger physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally so that we can help those weaker than us, both men and women, children. But I emphasized women and children because men have a responsibility to man up themselves, but, but help them too. If they're mm-hmm. weaker than you, it is your job to help anyone weaker than you. Right. And so that, that's kind of what came out of it is, is we need, uh, we men or for my boys, boys need to grow stronger and not just be comfortable, I guess. I, I don't know if I'm really answering the question yeah. you asked, but, um, I had a very comfortable, cushy life, and Alaska hardened me, is the way I'd put it. Yeah. Well, and you can only lend the strength that you have. Right. right? If you only have a limited, like, we all are, are, everyone's strength is limited, right? But when you work to become stronger, whether that's physically, mentally, emotionally, now you have a greater capacity to lend that strength then to others. Mm-hmm. And if our if our role as men, I always simplify it as simply bringing um <laughs> structure to chaos out of the um well yeah bringing structure to chaos essentially that's not sure. the words i use i can't remember the words i usually use but bringing chaos or yeah. br- no not bringing no chaos. don't bring chaos <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm trying right. to say right um bringing calm into the chaos like being the the one who brings structure to that chaos yeah. and you can't do that without strength and um if you don't have strength i would argue as a man it's your responsibility to go get some strength so that you can exactly. lend that strength yeah, and um, our goal is to serve is what I've taught our boys. And you can't serve if you don't have strength. So right. you, you serve from a position of strength. You, you, can't, you can't pull someone up out of the ocean who's drowning if you don't have a strong foothold yourself. So yeah. 
man up, toughen up, get that strength you need so that you can serve others and help them. This is a this is an off the cuff question. This isn't something I prepared, yeah, but this conversation is making me think of it, and and I want to hear your thoughts on it. Um, I think as Christians, something that I've discovered. So now a little more background on me. I uh, trained MMA for about eighteen months when I was still in Milwaukee, and really loved it, and enjoyed it. I also played college football, and obviously played pee wee in high school football I will before not that. Fight you. So I I I had grew. I mean, I didn't grow up in a culture of violence, but you know, it, it was something that was very much a part of my Tough. life. Right, that mm-hmm. toughness that. The capa- that capacity for it, um, but always measured, engaged, and always in an appropriate situation, right? And that was something that I think at Shoreland, it's actually kind of fun now that, uh, so S- Coach Stein at MLC was my high school coach, and now Coach Hebner, who's the coach now, was also one of my high school coaches and my, and my algebra teacher. But th- both of those, those two men stick out in my mind as men who did an excellent job of um, pulling that out of you, that aggressiveness, that even the violence out of you in appropriate situations, and then also very clearly communicating you know, the appropriate use of that strength then in other places. Um, but I think coming from that culture into, into the, the, the world of the church and now even studying to be a pastor in the church, right? I think something that we lose sight of oftentimes as Christians, and maybe even specifically American Christians in cities, is, or maybe maybe it's not even, anyway, I better get to the question. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Um, what it is, because in, in inner cities, that's a different story too, but I think in, in comfortable middle-class Christendom, maybe that's a better way to do it, we lose the value of the capacity for strength and violence because it's not something we often need to employ on behalf of others and i I think it's been a cultural shift you you, the tough used to be you go fight the lion right you defend your family from the enemy tribe now it's you go out and you earn a dollar is what makes you valuable in society you support financially and and i get that but i want to keep that there is still a we want to grow physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. And I think especially the emotionally part is getting lost. I think a lot of men are just still little kids who would rather play Xbox and ignore their wife and kids than go do what's right to serve others. And, and I, I keep driving home to my boys that the whole end game is so you can serve. It's not just so you're the toughest guy in the room, not so you can win every arm wrestling match. I mean, they know me. I've never lifted weights, and I, I did in high school, but I, I haven't really been a tough guy, a big guy. A, I'm a nerd. I, I read a lot of books is what I am. Um, so, I, But I teach them the whole end game is to serve others, even academically. If you want to be mentally stronger than others, it's so you can serve others. And I think we lose that too. And I, I'm not answering your question, I don't know, but... I think Christ is the answer to all of that, too. Recognizing that I deserve hell, but this is what he's done for me, makes me want to live for him by serving others. So yeah. there's, a, there's a goal to our toughness in serving, which is so opposite the way the rest of the world thinks, right? They think masculinity is being tough and strong so that you can get what you want, take what you want. Maybe they'll say provide for your immediate family. But all of that is just so you can serve other people, in my mind. Yeah. So, well, and not to get too far into a into a theological rabbit hole here. Although I think between the two of us, we might end up there anyway. Probably. <laughs> um, but um, one of the things that I think has been a huge 
growth point for me over the last several years is understanding the role of the law and how that relates to then my behavior around others. Um, so if, and this is part of a much longer podcast, um, but I can come back. <laughs> the uh, um, one of, so if you read like uh, Romans seven and following, um, he talks extensively about the law, and one of the things that he says is, if I think it's 12, where he says, um, not everything is, every, anything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial, right? Okay. And that's his conclusion at the end of a dissertation on the law. And as, as a, that, it makes sense in my brain, right? But oftentimes I think we, uh, there's a disconnect between that and the actual employment of such a concept, where the question is no longer like, is it a sin? Like, not that we shouldn't consider such questions. There are times to consider such questions, but the ultimate question that I'm asking myself isn't, is it a sin? The ultimate question I'm asking is, is it beneficial? Right? Yeah. And if that's my attitude, then um, my question is not even necessarily what would God have me do or what would, um, you know, what would the right thing to do. What I what I found myself asking on the backside of kind of embody starting well, not embodying it but internalizing it is instead of asking those kinds of questions like what would make jesus happy is the classic like little kid question like mm-hmm. does this make jesus smile first of all if you're a parent don't ask your kids that question i think that's an awful way to go about that but instead of asking those kinds of questions what i'll often ask myself and ask the people around me is what would love do what does love look like in this situation or when people come back at me and go like why are you doing this it's like well that's what love does mm-hmm. Right? And, and if that's my question, then it is about service. It is about other people, but it's also about like where's where's the love come from, right? How does my love bucket get filled so it can go other places? And now I have both my vertical and horizontal relationships figured out just by saying, "What would love do?" And so w- one of my teens and one of my uh, teen Bible classes asked the question. I don't know what the topic even was, but he said, "So, Pastor, how far is going too far?" with my girlfriend. Mm. Can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? And and my answer was, eh, wrong. And he's like, <laughs> what do you mean wrong? Said <laughs> and I said, you already, you just asked the wrong question. You're asking how mm. close can I get to the line until I've ticked God off? The question should be, how can I serve my savior in gratitude? And yeah, how can I girlfriend. serve others? Yeah. Right. How can I honor her? And how can I honor God with my body? And so you, you already lose by asking how far can I go? Because your question is already self-serving. And he went, okay, good answer. And he got, he got the point. He wasn't stung by me going, eh. But, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's, it's what will love do? How can I serve Jesus in gratitude for the way he served me? And the answer is grow strong so that you can serve him by serving others. Right. And, and as a father, I say that's a big piece of your your love for your sons is preparing them for that world and training them up that way, right? I'm trying. Um, yeah. And right, so and that's what you're here to talk about, right? Is is sure. the efforts that you're making? So um, you completed a man up challenge with your oldest son. Um, oldest two now. Oldest two now. Okay, yeah. well that uh, that checks off one of the questions I was going to ask later on is, uh, are you going to do it again? But we'll get there. Sure. And we'll get there at the end. First of all, tell us like what um, what is what was the Man Up Challenge? So while we were in Alaska, I saw these opportunities to grow as a man. For me, learning how to use a chainsaw, hiking to the top of a mountain, you know, hunting that I'd never really done to that level at least. Um, and I wanted them to have those similar experiences. We, at the time, had made our peace with that our son is going to go to Luther Prep and it was maybe $1,000 for a round trip ticket. So we said, we're not going to see you at Christmas. We'll see you next summer. And I thought... 
wow, this is really my last year to raise my son. Yeah. And then there's going to be a, a tutor who's going to do it for four years. And, yeah. And, and, so this eighth grade year is my last year with my kid. That kind of put some urgency to the matter in my mind. So um, what we did is I said, how can we man up in these ways? And first we needed to identify what does it mean to be a man and grow in our strength so that we can serve others from that strength. Um, so we wanted to grow physically. And to that end, we started on day one of the first day of school doing one push-up. Day two, we did two push-ups. Day three, three. By Friday, we were doing five push-ups that day. Um, we continued, We got the weekend off to catch up. So if you didn't do your five push-ups, you could do, you know, five, four, three, two, one, whatever the math is. You could catch up by doing all of them. Uh, the next week, we started with six. And by the end of, I don't know, I guess three months, four months, we're doing 100 push-ups every day. And then we threw in, let's do one squat with our 100 push-ups. By the way, we did not do 100 push-ups in a row. That's a common <laughs> question people ask. So. And you keep saying we. You did all this with him? I did it with him. What was your reasoning? A, to model it. I'm not going to ask him to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And B, because I need it. I need to man <laughs> up and grow. I'm, you, you, again, I'm thankful <laughs> this is a podcast and not a video. Or you would see why. So, <laughs> I, I don't actually mean this, but I'm going to say it because it's funny. you got a great body for radio. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and you, you have a great face for radio. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I do. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, but I, I don't think I've ever been as fit in my life as I was at the end of that year. So, okay. Um, we, at the end of the year, in culmination, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but we, we went uh, to the top of a mountain. The two of us hiked it together. I've got a side story if you want to hear it later about the bears we saw. But we got to the top and we did a hundred push-ups together, and then we did do them a hundred all in a row, and we did a hundred squats. And I presented him with the book that I gave him, some dog tags that I had made for him, and just a, a big hug and a congratulations. And um, we went down the mountain, got a burger, and went home. And it, it was just that was the celebration, if you will, um, of the whole year. So physical was the first way we met up. Spiritually, we each read a chapter of the Bible Monday through Friday. Um, I'm not, you might need to fact check me on this, but I think there are the same number of chapters in the new Testament as there are weekdays in a year. So by reading one chapter Monday through Friday, we got through the new Testament that way. Um, and, and he's kept that up, which I'm glad. So part of it was trying to develop habits for him. Um, and then we'd talk about it on a Saturday. We'd get together and say, what did you learn in the five chapters that we read this week? Um, if, if he hadn't or I hadn't, Saturday was a great day to catch up. And Sunday was always off. So um, reading five chapters is not that hard. It's not that hard to get through the Bible in three years by doing five chapters a week. Um, emotionally and, and mentally, we read a book and we took turns. I had him read, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Then he had me read some fictional book that he was into I had him read Why Trust the Bible. We went back and forth. He would pick one. I would pick one. And we'd always talk about the themes. Um, History Lives is a great series, by the way, that talks about the, the church fathers. We read through those and talked about how did the character in this story, whether it was actually true or not, man up? How did, how did that character, even if it was a female, how did they man up? I'm using air quotes, which you can't see on radio <laughs> either. Um, 
how did they use their strength to serve others? Which is really the plot line of kind of every story that's ever been written. Someone uses their strength to serve other people or to overcome some obstacle and challenge. So um, we have that those discussions on a weekly basis. On what are you reading? How, what did you think? What did you get out of the Bible? We talked about how they used their emotions and from a strong emotional place. It wasn't always a physical strength, like Lord of the Rings kind of stuff. Frodo's not the most mighty strongest right he just has a determination to keep going and do what's right till he gets to mount doom um so we talked about stuff like that in fiction and in 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 non-fiction what does it mean to use your strength to serve others so you know who i think is the most manly character in lord of the rings samwise yeah samwise Gamgee. yes uses his strength to serve another mm-hmm with no fame, no credit, no glory. He's mm-hmm. just there to serve others. And yeah. even even he's not as smart as Frodo. He really doesn't know where they're going. He has All he has is gumption and guts <laughs> what and a I, love for Frodo. One of my favorite scenes is when Frodo says, uh, Sam, leave me alone. Go back. I'm going on my own. And Samwise says, of course you're going on your own, and I'm going with you. <laughs> That's what yeah. it means to be a godly man, right? You're going to use your strength to serve another. You're not looking for credit or glory or fame or power or, you know, any anything for yourself is the godly approach. You want to serve others out of gratitude for the way your Savior first served you. So, Yeah, I like it. What I'm curious, what other books did you guys read? Do you remember? I, I honestly don't even remember all of them. Um, like Mysterious Benedict Society, I think, was one that he had picked out. I did the History Live series. It's a series of five books. They're all relatively short. They take historical characters in history and do like a 12-page chapter on them, but but it's in it's novelized, so it tells it like it's a story. And so it really drew my older two who have gone through it. It drew them in, and they got drawn into these stories, and they were ready to read like four chapters a day because they were like, this is really good stuff. So... Um, we did more than we didn't do like a book a month. We probably did three a month or something. So, yeah. so that's a lot of books that we read. Yeah, but they have a love for reading that their mother instilled in them by reading to them when they were little. And I have a love for reading. I'm a lifelong learner. So that was something we got to bond over too. And I, I got to go back and look at the list if you want. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I'm not that prepared for today, but that's okay. Um, so you obviously. Even though now you're in Minnesota and you're not looking at, you know, your your sec- your second son, he wasn't going to Luther Prep, right? So he wasn't right. going to leave. But you still decided to do it anyway. So what's the value in those rites of passage, even if you weren't sending your son away to school? Well, for him, again, he, he asked me. He said, Dad, Josiah got to do this. Jacob was like, can I do it too? And I said, yes, I'm not going to have a book written just for you, though. <laughs> I already did that. I'll give you a copy of his. Um and he, he, he just, he wanted to not be left out. And so I said, yeah, let's do it. And we did push-ups. And by the way, when, with Josiah, when we hiked to the top of the mountain, I could breathe all the way up, which is uh, abnormal for me because normally a couple of flights of stairs has me catching my breath. So after that whole year of doing what we did, I was stronger and better for it. So not to say it's entirely self-serving, but it served me too. Mm-hmm. So I said, Jacob, it's good for me to do this. In that year in between the two, I got flabby again. And so now I'm looking forward to my third to become an eighth <laughs> grader so I can man up again myself. But um, So it was for me, but also for him, this rite of passage, 
you are about to become a man um, as you transition from grade school to high school. I think high school is a is a very challenging time of life. You're questioning who am I, what matters, what 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 are my greatest values, and I wanted them to both go into it knowing it's Jesus and my identity as a Christian male, and so. Um, for Jacob too, I wanted him to go, as you go into school in high school, there's going to be new challenges, new temptations you've never seen. There's going to be peer pressures. There's going to be, um, awkwardness. And I want you to, I, I guess identity is a big part of it too. I wanted them to know who they are that we always, I think throughout life are questioning who am I really right. And you are a child of God. You are a prince of the King. You're, you're a son of of, of your savior and, and your identity shapes how you're going to live your life and not be ashamed, not be scared, but be bold and bold to go serve others. So I wanted that for him too. Um, so it wasn't even intentional that I was going to repeat this for all four, but we now I'm gonna, for the next two, it's, we've set a precedent and they're looking forward to it. Judah, yeah. Judah, my third is going, Hey, only one more year till I get to do the man up challenge, right, Dad? And he's already started doing like push ups on his own to get a head start. Well, you better start too. I know, I know. <laughs> he's going to leave me behind. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, so, have you made any adjustments on it, on the process? So, one of the big things we learned is um, forgiveness is key and not be so strict with it. If, you know, during the week before Christmas or, you know, they had a big project in school, we, we would say, hey, Year of Jubilee is what we'd write across the page. <laughs> we, so we put a chart up on the fridge. That's how we held each other accountable. And we'd check off if we had done our stuff each day. So check, I read my Bible chapter. Check, I did my push-ups. Check, I did my, my sit-ups or my squats. Um, check, I read the book. Um, but we, we learned to forgive and not, this is what we make it to be. We're not, we're not so bound by the law that we have to. It's this is something we want to do to push and encourage each other. So we would just do, hey, let's year of Jubilee. It was Holy Week for dad. He didn't do his push-ups and you had exams or something. So we're going to scratch it. Start over next week. And we, so we, we constantly shifted the schedule. It wasn't so set in stone. It was flexible. Flexibility is what I've learned with both of them. That was Josiah. Second kid, Jacob, was during COVID year. So you can imagine how much more difficult that was. He's going to school sometimes, not going to school other times, homeschooling with dad yelling at him to get his homework done. <laughs> um, so we just we had to be flexible. And so with Jacob, we didn't finish at his eighth grade graduation. It went until July until we got done with the stuff we wanted to do. And we were okay with that. We said we're going to do it when we get to it. And we're, we're not going to judge each other. Our goal is to improve, grow in our strength so that we can serve others from that strength and not feel guilty if we missed a day or two. So. Yeah. Hey, did you get any pushback at all along the way? From my kids? Yeah. yeah. Or at all, I guess, even from other people maybe. From my kids sometimes like, Dad, oh, come on, why are you pushing me to do this? And I said, well, because I think it's valuable for you. But at times – they gave me just as much pushback. Dad, it's been three days. You haven't done your push-ups yet. I'm like, ah, oh, okay, I guess I'd better. Um, no pushback from anyone else, really. My wife loved it. She thought, you're manning up. She loved that I had a little more pecs than I do now. <laughs> um, she loved that I was teaching our boys what it means to be a man. The men of the congregation embraced it in, in Alaska. No, in 
in, here in New Ulm, I don't think anyone knew we were doing it. It was Jacob and I, but there it was known that we're doing this. And so we had added accountability too. They're going to ask us, how's the man up challenge going? And th- they're a big part of the book that I presented at the end. So yeah, yeah. Um, no, no real pushback. Everyone's been very positive about it. Even, even the feminists that I've talked to about <laughs> this have said, that sounds like a great idea because ultimately manning up isn't really just for guys mm-hmm. it's it's for everyone grow in your strength so you can serve others by that strength so well and it doesn't really matter where we sit on the political spectrum the reality is good men um living well are good for women yeah and everybody knows that right not not the the homer simpson oaf sitting on the couch right, right. all of society is blessed by godly men becoming more godly and serving from their strength yeah now, um, you've talked quite a bit about um, the, the relationship that you have between you and your sons, and it, it sounds, it certainly appears that you have a good relationship with your sons, right? And you've been, you've been around, you've been involved, you were part of their life. I mean, it, it is tough being a pastor and having a family, too, um, but you have an established relationship with your sons. So um, I'll, I'll let you talk, but the question here that I, that I wanted to ask was, somebody's listening to this and they say, you know, I, I don't have that kind of relationship. I don't even know if my kid would, I want to do something like this. I don't know if my kid would go for it. Yeah. Um, on the outside, our relationship looks golden and perfect until behind closed doors. And um, I'll admit, I often feel like a hypocrite saying, writing articles for forwarding Christ as if I'm the parenting expert when I lose my cool and snap at my kids and they lose their cool and are, are hugely disrespectful to me and we have a blow up fight and but we go back at the end and we we go back to the foot of the cross I I think as a parent one of the best things I've been able to do is apologize say son I am sorry I messed up I screwed up big time here, and I hope you will forgive me the way that I know Jesus already has. And let me back up. Early in our marriage, Becky and I would say to each other, uh, I'm sorry, and, and the other would say, it's okay. And we stopped doing that because it's not okay. If it were okay, why am I apologizing for it? So we started to say, I forgive you. And that was really hard at first. We had that conversation. So I'm sorry I left my socks on the floor. I forgive you. What do you mean you forgive me? It was just socks on the floor. But no, it really was selfish and inconsiderate. Then we tweaked it again to, I'm sorry, I forgive you, and so does Jesus. So in our home, there's been this, we, we daily breathe. We exhale in confession. We inhale the life-giving oxygen of absolution of what Jesus has done in forgiveness. So... That, that's been a part of our relationship. We are certainly not perfect, and I would never want a camera inside of my home that's recording it all, but, but we come back to the cross, forgive each other, and assure each other of Jesus' forgiveness. So it sounds weird coming from a pastor, but my boys are sometimes my pastors. They tell me, Dad, you're forgiven. Jesus forgives you too. And I take that big sigh of relief. R- relief. Ah, thank you. Right. Um, that motivates me to want to grow stronger so that I can serve from that strength. So, um, we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but we keep working on it in thanks to Jesus. So, mm-hmm. um, but at least, I, I, while you're not perfect, you have been doing that work and laying out a foundation though. So it wasn't totally out of the blue, um, to suggest something like this. Um, do you have any words for maybe a father who hasn't been involved or hasn't I been gotcha. around? Who, who's, who's, how do you encourage yeah. to start this? 
uh, I would say, have the humility to say, I need this. If So I think that's what got my boys even on board. I want you to help me develop a daily habit of reading my Bible. I want you to help me to start growing stronger because I need you, son, to hold me accountable, your dad, in, in doing this stuff to help me get stronger. So I think when I, when I approach them that way, let's do this together, that goes back to your question of did you do it too? Yes. Then they were more on board. Um, we both at times in our turns stunk at doing it. So we needed to hold each other. I think all of brotherhood too and manning up, you need accountability in a loving way. I know some guys say accountability is all law, but you know, the apostle Paul held a lot of congregations accountable in a loving way by calling out their sin and then pointing them back to the cross. So, um, I I think I would say to dads who are interested in this, Show your son this is something you're going to do too and you need. That we're n- none of us are ever done growing in all of these aspects. Physically, I mean, I definitely could. By the way, I'm down 11 pounds this summer. And nice. I'm super excited about it and I want to keep going on that. Yeah. So, um, we, but it's something you can't quit on, right? If I give up and stop going for my morning walk and um, then I'm just going to put the flab back on. Uh, if I stop growing mentally, I'm going to be left behind. The world is changing and there's stuff going on. If I stop growing spiritually, God help me, I, my faith will atrophy and die. If I stop growing emotionally, I'm going to become a man-child, right? So um, show your son this is something we all need to do our entire life long. And he might go, oh, I respect that, Dad, that you recognize you need this for you too. It's not just dad saying, you have to do this. Like, go clean your room, go mow the lawn. We want to do this together. Is That would be my encouragement, I guess. Does that answer the yeah. question? So Yeah, absolutely. Now, you turned um, your experiences into a book. Do you want to talk about the book a little bit? I did not turn my experiences into the book. Let me correct you on that. What I did when I was done with this Man Up Challenge is I asked all of the men in my son's life, what is your greatest piece of advice for my son? So I had his grandpas, his uncles. I had the men who helped me to man up, who took me hunting. Um, the men who were his teachers, the men who were his Sunday school teachers, the men who were in the congregation that he knew and had taken him fishing. They all wrote a one page. Here's what I think it means to be a godly man. And I just compiled them all together. So I am the editor, not the author of this book. And so it's it's full of... I, here, I'm a little jealous of Josiah because one of my members took him up in his airplane. And Josiah got to fly. Now, I got to go on the airplane a couple times, but he never let me fly. And I called him out on that. And he said, well, I trusted your son a little more than I trusted <laughs> you. All right, fair enough. I would have probably tried to do something weird. Like, can we, can we make it roll? Um, but... So Josiah has flown an airplane and he wrote something and he tied it into being in, you know, a pilot. Um, another guy wrote about his struggles with alcohol and put that in a chapter in there. And um, so each guy brought his own perspective and gave little bits of advice, like like a real man eats last. I, I like that one. That one still sticks in my head. Um, you wait till everyone else has been fed and then you go eat. Um there's all kinds of good stuff in here. So I reread this book once a year 
because it helps me to remember what does it mean. They, they have great advice, and they're all Christian men writing from their perspective. Here's what it means to man up and serve others from the strength that you have. So one, one of the chapters is just go out and be doing. Don't be sitting. Go be doing. Where is so-and-so? Where is Josiah? He's out doing this. He's out serving. Be active. Um, so, and then I, in the end, I put my whole thought. My, I, I reserve the right to put last chapter in it. So mine's in there in the end. And we talked about what it means to serve others from your strength, of course. So, yeah. so what, was, what was the, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, but specifically, what was your rationale in putting a book like this together? Well, one, I wanted to present him with something as kind of a trophy at the end. Here's here's something that I want to give. I gifted him. The dog tags say something like "Son of God," and on the back side it has a Bible verse. Um, but I wanted to give him advice that was. I I know I'm not the smartest guy in the room always. Not even right now when there's only two of us. Oh, so I'm okay Don't with that. Say that. And I thought there's a lot of smart guys in our congregation and. Even though I'm a pastor, and and one guy, you know, he's he works at a rental facility. That's how he rents equipment. He has wisdom that I don't have because of the experiences that he's had that I've not had. And that's why I say that even with you, you have experiences from your MMA stuff. I've never done MMA. You probably have stories to tell that you could share with my kid that would help him to become a better man. So when I say I'm not the smartest guy in the room, I don't I don't mean I'm I'm specialized. Does that make sense? I know this one subject and I think pretty well because of our synods training. I don't say that in pride. I say that in gratitude. But there are other guys who had lots of other experiences that knew a lot of things I don't know and I want them to share with him their perspective of a biblical idea of of godly manliness. So um they have they had insights I didn't and i appreciate their insights and like i said i've grown from them my my laymen have taught me maybe not as much as i've taught them but they've taught me in the same way that i've taught them it's been a mutual blessing yeah so yeah all well, different lessons but but valuable valuable lessons um i think i know the answer to this but why specifically men because the idea was being a godly man and i wanted i, I only have boys i don't have a girl um my wife wanted a girl, maybe, at one point, and then we were like, you know what? We know how to do boys. Thank you, God, for giving us boys. But because I knew I have three more coming behind him, I, manliness is something, again, you see the media. You see how most men are treated on TV. They're the bumbling idiot, the, the doofus, the oaf, who is clueless and doesn't know what's going on. And that's not at all God's design. He wants men to be the leaders, but the servant leaders. And so I wanted them to learn what does it mean to be a servant leader from servant leaders. And so I picked men that I knew to be spiritually mature. If the guy hadn't been in Bible class, I wasn't asking him for his advice, you know. So I wanted, I wanted guys who I knew, you love your Savior. You serve your Savior from the strength you have. Can you help my son to learn that lesson too? Yeah. And that was basically, I sh shot that email out to... 30 guys, 40 guys, I don't know how many. And they sent it back, and whoever sent it back, I edited and put it in the book. So Yeah, and and you you did not ask his mom to write something, or grandma, or any of his female Sunday school teachers. Why not? You know, maybe I should have, honestly, because women have a good insight as to what makes a godly man. But I, I wanted it to be from men that he looked up to and respected, and I thought if I put mom in there, if I put grandma in there, 
it, it would lose its flavor of from men to a, a budding young man um, instead of uh, moms probably have good advice and I could have asked them and then put it into my letter but I, I want and I did have his mom proof the whole thing and offer some suggestions but I wanted it from men to a young man yeah um, you're making me think of uh, one of John. I don't know if it's in Wild at Heart or what. And you always got to be careful with John Eldridge. <laughs> He's got some of it's wonderful, some of it's not. Um, but one of the things he talks about is this idea of um, throughout the generations, throughout time, up until the modern era. And then you can also see it in history at the peak of other like empires and civilizations and things. Um, but until recent history, men were raised in the company of other men. Like you had um, fathers and sons literally living in the same, like not even under the same roof, but like in the same space, mm-hmm. um, even murderously close sometimes, training in the trades, and they would pass on a trade to the... But there's something beyond all of that that gets passed on between fathers and sons. And he even describes it as like it's, a su- it's, it's almost a substance. Like it's almost something physical that's handed from father to son. And that isn't something that can... It's not something that can come from a woman, and it's also something that can't be replaced um, with any other sort of relationship or activity. One of the books that I read while I was in Alaska, and I can't wholly endorse it, but it had some good thoughts. It was Why Men Hate Going to Church. Have you read that one? I have. Not, it's on my list. Okay. So the premise was the, the church has become kind of soft. The, the, what are the great traits of being a good Christian in church? You can speak well, and you can sing well which are tend to be more effeminate qualities that you can throw an ax or chop down a tree or, or lift a big weight is not valued in the church. Who cares? Right. Um, and so some of our songs, even in the church, we, we don't sing onward Christian soldiers enough. It's more, I love you, Lord. And I lift my heart. And who, what guy wants to sing a love song to a guy? It's a lot of love songs to Jesus. And so the premise was the church has become effeminate how are we going to raise boys to be godly men when the men are departing from the church? The women are the ones who are left there to raise the family. And so I wanted to point out to my sons, there are godly men who are serving their savior. So that's a part of why I chose men only. I I want them to see the good examples that are there. Um, Man up. Right. And and there are men who are doing it and they're doing it well and they're doing it to the glory of God instead of glory of self. So, yeah, this is a big can of worms to open at at the end here. Um, But um, it's something that's on my heart just because my ministry experience. um, I thank the Lord. I was not in a situation like this. Um, But in a conversation like this, I think it would be neglectful not to talk to single moms. Um, so this is clearly something where the father plays a role in his son's life. And when it's not the case, something is missing. Um, what if, uh, is a, a young woman listening to this podcast who has a son would love for her son to go through an experience like this, but there isn't a man to be there. That's an excellent question. And I will say, um, one of the moms in Kenai was a single mom, um, without naming names, her husband was in prison. She had two boys, two girls. And she brought her boys over to our house often. I would say find godly influences anyway. It doesn't need to be dad. Find an elder in the church or, you know, a Lutheran pioneer program. Find find guys who can help to mentor your son. 
Um, I enjoyed hanging out with those boys. Now, admittedly, because of their family situation, they were in trouble a lot. And even as pastor, I sometimes had to step in at the school for some discipline stuff. But we would sit down and talk. And even though they're in trouble, I'd say there's going to be consequences, but I need you to know you're forgiven in Jesus. And they came to respect me. And uh, I'm not going to say I was dad, but I got to be a father figure in their life. And they had other men who would say, hey, let's let's go ice fishing and let's get the single mom's kids to go out ice fishing with us. Or, hey, we're going to go on a hike. Let's invite the church and invite especially the youth. So take your take your boys to church. Take them to church anyway, even though a lot of dads and men are departing the church. Take them anyway and introduce them to godly men. Um, one of the things even in New Ulm, my boys are helping with uh, the webcast of the service. They're not, obviously I have no part of that because I'm up front, but they're sitting next to a godly man who's saying, I'm going to volunteer my time to serve in this way. I'm going to help you to learn how to do it. So um, my, my son has, has become good friends with a 55-year-old guy who's helping with the webcast. Another of my sons is sitting with uh, one of the professors at the college every, every it's not every Sunday, once one Sunday a month. They're chatting while they're doing this. So there's, there's other ways to get godly men in the lives of your boys than dad if dad's not around. There we go. So, Pastor Gunther, always a blessing to have you on. Glad to, glad to sit down and talk with you. Um, I'll put a link down below to the History Lives books. Um, where can we find uh, Man Up Josiah? Man Up Josiah is at Amazon. Um, Google Man Up, comma, Josiah, and uh, Gunther, G-U-E-N-T-H-E-R. Get the cheap version. The difference between the two is one, the pictures are in color, and the other, the pictures are black and white. So All right. I'd hold it up for the camera, but it's a podcast. So. <laughs> awesome. And now if somebody you pique somebody's interest, somebody has questions or uh, anything like that, how can people get a hold of you? PastorGunther at gmail.com, P-A-S-T-O-R-G-U-E-N-T-H-E-R at gmail.com. I'd love to carry on the conversation. All right, I'll link that down below as well as always gentlemen glad to have you go be the men that god created you to be we'll see you next time on behalf of all those involved in producing recording editing and distributing this episode Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you'd like to contact us with comments, questions, or suggestions, you can reach out to us at any of the links in the description below or on our website. Please consider supporting the work of Gird Up Ministries by donating on Patreon, shopping at our online store, or making a $5 cup of coffee donation at www.girdupministries.com. Those donations help us make more great content just like this for young men just like you. Make sure you like, friend, follow, and subscribe to Gird Up and all of our guests on your social media platforms, and consider leaving a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the Gird Up podcast so that others can find us and be blessed by our content, too. As always, thanks for listening. Now go and be the man that God created you to be. We'll see you next time.